Welcome to the Life Together podcast. Life Together is a Wednesday gathering for worship, Bible study, and community at Discover Church in Oak Creek, Wisconsin. We hope that this week's message will encourage you and challenge you. Our mission here at Discover Church is to reach our world for Christ as we lead people to discover and become who God has created them to be. I'm so glad that you're here tonight. Um, We are starting a new series in Life Together called You Have Heard It Said, and I'm so excited about what the Lord is going to teach us because God has a fresh word for us in this season and for you to grow in your walk with God, and I'm so excited about what God is going to do in our hearts tonight. I want you to picture this with me. The breeze blew gently across the faces of the captive audience, and the smell of the sea drifted across the waves of grass along the mountainside. They had all come to listen to the teacher. Some have gathered because they heard of this healings. They wanted to witness miracles that they had heard about from other people. Some had come because they heard of his profound teaching. Some had come because they weren't quite sure of the new wisdom that Jesus was preaching in the towns. And some were thirsty. Some were thirsty to take a drink from the well of the kingdom of heaven for themselves. And a hush fell over the ocean of people as their eyes fixed on Jesus, the teacher. Eyes bright with expectancy, brow set with a firm authority, and a small smile tugging at the corners of his mouth. Jesus began to preach confidently. God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. The Sermon on the Mount is one of Jesus's most prolific and profound teachings that we see in the Gospels. Matthew, the Gospel writer, it's our first Gospel in the New Testament, is actually writing all of Jesus's sermon that we know about. Other Gospels will feature some tidbits of what Jesus says here, but Matthew's Gospel is the only one that records the entirety of Jesus's life-changing sermon. Now, Matthew is writing to a Jewish audience, and so as a Jewish audience, Matthew wants to set in that Jesus is not just some other teacher, but Jesus is the Messiah, the prophet, priest, and king. And this is the first time in history that any Jew had experienced a prophet, priest, and king at the same time, and it was held in Jesus Christ. Where the Old Testament highlights the original code or law God tells his people to live by, the New Testament highlights the new code of conduct that Jesus teaches us how we are supposed to live if we are to follow him and enter into the kingdom of heaven. Matthew is writing to an audience who were, who were very familiar with Moses, the law and the prophets. The people had heard it said before. By the time we get to the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus had been water baptized. Jesus had called out his 12 disciples. Jesus had cast out demons. Jesus had healed the sick and the lame. Jesus had been teaching all over the countryside in different towns, in different cities. Jesus was becoming really well known for tipping the world upside down and calling people to live an inside-out life. And people at this point were spectators. They were hungry for truth, for sure, but it was more their curiosity that drew them to this teacher, Jesus, and they came out of the towns by thousands because they wanted to hear and see what Jesus had to say and the authority that Jesus had in his heart. 
And it's in Matthew chapter 5 when Jesus begins to take all of the teachings that the people had heard it said before. They had heard it at their synagogues every Saturday. They were very familiar with it. Jesus takes all of their knowledge of the law of God and expounds on the law and actually like drives it into their daily lives and then the heart of what drove them. The Jewish people had grown up in a society where by the age of 10, boys would have gone to the synagogue and they would have basically memorized all first five books of our Bible. See, we've heard of the Ten Commandments, but they were so familiar with the Torah that they had memorized large portions of the first five books of the Old Testament. These people had heard it said before. And on this particular day, people thought they were gathering to hear more about the Torah in a unique and interesting way that they hadn't heard before. But they weren't expecting the way that Jesus was about to speak with authority that they had never witnessed and flip their world inside out. Jesus has a way of still doing that in our hearts because you and I may have been in church for a while. Even like American culture, we can go to Walmart and see placards with part of a scripture verse on it. And like people might not know that, but it's so ingrained in our society, biblical ideas, that many of us have heard it said before. And Jesus wants to take our own hearts and the own things that we've heard it said before and turn it inside out. Jesus has a way of challenging our comfortability and calling us deeper into the kingdom of God and into our relationship with him. Jesus tells the people something breathtaking in Matthew chapter 5, verse 20, that sets the stage for the rest of our series. He says, For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Raise your hand if you want to go to heaven. Thank you. I'm glad I see everybody's hand in this room tonight. Well, these people did too. They wanted to experience the presence of God. They wanted to experience heaven. These people were tired of living under oppression. They wanted to be set free from bondage. They wanted to be set free from hard things in life, from political harshness and racism and poverty and pain. And after 2,000 years, we still want to be freed from those things too. See, the people during Jesus' time measured their own sense of spiritual health against what their teachers were teaching. So the Pharisees, when Jesus talked about the Pharisees and the teachers of the law and that their righteousness had to surpass that, the people, when they wanted to know how to follow God, they didn't necessarily read the Torah for themselves. They listened to the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. And if they could possibly live life like the teachers and the Pharisees, then maybe they could be righteous enough to experience the kingdom of God. And here Jesus is challenging their thinking. He says that their measurement of righteousness is off. Unless your righteousness is better than the people that you aspire to be, then you will never enter heaven. And I can almost hear the audible gasp of the crowd in dead silence as each person evaluated the rightness of their heart and thought, I'm never going to enter heaven. If I can't be like the Pharisees, then surely I can't be more righteous than they. Jesus is damning me. There's no way I could ever get into heaven. They measured themselves against the righteous example of other people's rule following. And come to think of it, 
I think we still do that too. That we see teachers and preachers and people who do amazing things for God and we think, well, if I could just be more like that person, then maybe I'll be righteous enough to make it. Gaining entrance into heaven is more than just being more righteous than the people around us. Gaining heaven and eternity and in the here and now is more than following a set of rules and regulations. We have to be covered in Christ's righteousness from himself. And let me ask you as we get started in our series today, who do you measure your righteousness against? Who do you measure your righteousness against and how do you measure up? Over the next four weeks of our series, we're going to look at four different topics that Jesus addresses in chapter five and parts of chapter six. And he's telling the people, you've heard it said, but I say. And he's going to talk about topics like anger and desire and vows and revenge. Like the people Jesus was talking to in Matthew, we can clearly hear Jesus' voice speak to us today. And you may or may not be very familiar with what the Bible teaches about right and wrong, but you may have heard it said at some point. I want to challenge us together uh, to have an open heart to move past what we've heard said and invite the Holy Spirit to come in and say, Lord, I've heard it said this, but what are you telling me today? What do you have to say to me today? How do you want to turn my life inside out for you today? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for Matthew and inspiring him to write truth so we can read it today. Thank you for the gift of the Bible that we can know more about you and grow in our relationship with you. Father, I pray for just fertile soil in our hearts tonight, that we would receive your word, receive correction, receive encouragement, and find healing in your hand and in your truth. Turn our hearts inside out that we would look more like Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Let's start off with Matthew, Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 through 26. Jesus says, You have heard it said, that the people, to the people long ago, you shall not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. When Jesus said this, the crowd would have immediately thought about the sixth of the Ten Commandments because they were very familiar with the Ten Commandments. And I think so far, most of us in this room could say, check, I didn't murder anyone today, so I think my righteousness is doing pretty good. Maybe you've never murdered anyone at all, and maybe that makes your righteousness a little bit better. I mean, maybe you haven't broken that commandment. Uh, but Jesus goes on, and he says, But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, You fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Oh, well, that gets tricky, doesn't it? Our checklist just got real long. Jesus says, but I tell you. If we go back to the checklist of righteousness, I think we can all reflect on our own feelings and behaviors and find that at some point in our life, in some point of our day today, that we have harbored anger against someone we know. 
I had someone ask me in Life Together this morning, and then I did like a fact check on, on the teaching here for tonight. She was like, well, but what, is, what does the Bible mean by brother and sister? Is that like brothers and sisters in Christ? Like is Jesus talking to the Jews about other Jewish people, God's people, and maybe Jesus is talking to us about how we relate to the body of Christ? And I'm telling you, commentary after commentary after commentary after looking up Greek words, this means the brotherhood of humanity. We all come from the same root. We all come from Adam, righteous or evil. Jesus is talking about if you have been angry with another human being and harbored anger in your heart, then you are at risk of judgment. And we are all finding ourselves at risk of judgment. Jesus isn't making God's rules easier to follow. If anything, Jesus is making God's commands impossible to follow on our own. We have all been angry with someone, and I looked um, at the Greek or the original language to try to understand how extreme Jesus is talking here, and it means exactly what it says. Anyone who is angry without cause or provocation will be subject to judgment. Now, not all anger fits in this category. God gave us our anger as a gift to do a heart check on ourselves and to do a safety check. God gave us anger to like self-preserve ourselves if we're in trouble. Um, so it is a gift from God. But the anger that God values, we see all throughout the Old Testament and we see Jesus act out in anger um, when he whips people in the temple because he's so upset with people's self-righteousness and messing up the temple of God. Um, and so we see God acting out in anger when it comes to issues of justice, because the, the heart of God is justice. We should feel angry when someone else is being mistreated unjustly. We should feel angry when someone is doing something they shouldn't that causes destruction. We should be angry when someone is hurting or threatening or taking advantage of the poor, the widow, the orphan, the outsider, the immigrant. It's the heart of God for justice that people are not mistreated. And if you feel angry about that, that's righteous anger. That's okay. The anger Jesus is preaching about here is a knee-jerk reaction anger and it, the kind of anger that lingers. The Amplified Version says, but I say to you that everyone who continues to be angry with his brother or harbors malice, enmity of heart against him, shall be liable of judgment. Holding anger in your heart leads to judgment from the ultimate judge. And although this sounds harsh, Jesus is telling us this because he cares for us. If he didn't care, he wouldn't talk about it. He'd let us figure it out on our own or just sit in destruction that, that comes on us because of our response to anger. Jesus loves you, and that's why he's telling you this harsh truth. There's a fruit of harbored anger. When we hold anger in our heart, we begin to resent the people around us, which is likely to come out through our words. So Jesus says um, in, verses, um, in verse 22, he says, anyone who says to a brother or sister, raka, is answerable to the court. So this term raka here is only used once in the entire Bible. And I love it because it's like a common phrase that the Jewish people would have known. It means you empty waste of space. Like, why are you alive right now? And why are you occupying my space? You are a good for nothing. It's like the original cancel culture to call someone raka. 
And Jesus is saying, when you blow someone off, when you treat someone like they're worthless or a waste of space, you're in danger of judgment. And then Jesus goes on to say, anyone who says, you fool, will be in the danger of the fire of hell. This word for fool is moros, which sounds like moron. And it sounds like moron because that's exactly what it means. Anyone who says, you idiot, to someone else is in danger of judgment. I know. That's what I thought when I read it. Because here again, I'm reading this. I'm like, oh. I've done that. <sighs> Our response to calling other people moron, it's not the, the act of calling someone moron, but it's like, what is in your heart that has caused you to lash out at someone to say, you idiot, you have empty space in your head for brains. What are you thinking? When anger or resentment sits in our hearts for a while, we begin to devalue the people that Jesus died and suffered on the cross to save. I mean, can you ever imagine Jesus being so upset with someone that he says, you're a worthless waste of space? I can't. In fact, Jesus hung on the cross dying when people murdered him. And he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Jesus never called them worthless Jesus finds the world worthwhile. Jesus finds someone who thinks politically different than you worthwhile. Jesus sees your enemy, someone who treats you poorly, and someone who may have caused great pain in your life. Jesus died for them on the cross and finds them worthwhile of his blood. Jesus sees someone who commits crimes and treats others awful worthwhile. Jesus died on the cross for the entire world, and if the Savior of our soul and the creator of our new heart finds people worthwhile, who are we to look at someone and say, you idiot waste of space? And that's the root of anger in our hearts that fills our hearts, the temple of God in our lives, fills our hearts with enmity that God's spirit is supposed to sit in. And God doesn't want anger to separate you from his presence. It's in his mercy and compassion for every single sinner that makes every person worthwhile and anger left unchecked can quickly diminish and devalue the sacrifice of Christ himself that Jesus paid for every single individual's salvation. And whether you get along with them or not, whether they treat you or others poorly or well, we've heard it said, you shall not murder. But Jesus says, if you harbor anger in your heart, You'll be facing judgment as though you have murdered someone. That's a lot. <laughs> Where an earthly judge will judge other people's actions, Jesus judges our hearts. God knows our hearts and will judge what's going on the inside. And he cares, and that's why he's telling us about it. When anger takes root in our hearts, it comes out of us in the words that we say to people. In Matthew chapter 12, verse 34 through 37, Jesus says, For whatever is in your heart determines what you say. A good person produces good things from the treasury of a good heart, and an evil person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil heart. And I tell you this, you must give an account on judgment day for every idle word you speak. The words you say will either acquit you or condemn you. And friends, God is not out to get us in trouble. 
It may be easier to stay away from murder, but it's much harder to stay away from harbored anger in our hearts. And unchecked anger will wreak havoc on our relationships, on our lives, in the way that we perceive the world around us through grace and mercy. It will taint God's image, and it will taint the way that we see life that God wants us to see it as. It's not God's plan for your life to stew in anger. God wants to heal you from anger. Festering anger will only breed undesirable results. Are you ready for a lighthearted story? <laughs> when I was first married, uh, our first year of marriage, Dan and I lived in Oklahoma, and we lived in a small house. It was kind of old, so it had like those like older house features of little holes through the foundation. And like furry creatures love to sneak in those holes, and they can fit really easily in those holes. And so at some point, I was in my kitchen, and I saw a, like a dark thing run behind the toaster oven. And it was like, oh, we have a mouse is what I thought. And, you know, I, I actually think mice are really cute. They don't bother me. They don't freak me out. But I was like, okay, we should probably deal with this. So I got, like, one of those humane mouse traps where they can crawl in and eat food, but they can't get back out. And then you let them go when they're still alive. And I came home late one night, and I had a mouse in this little mouse trap. And I was like, well, if I leave him there, he's going to suffocate. And I don't want to go, like, out in my neighborhood in the dark. So I went to the very back of my backyard, and I let the mouse go. And what you know it, that little mouse remembered how warm my house was and how much food was in my house. Uh, I didn't see that mouse again, but the next morning I was uh, reading in my reading chair and like in a beautiful spot of sunlight, and I saw this little cute baby mouse just kind of saunter in the room and like look here and look there. And I just looked at that baby mouse and I was like, okay, we have a problem because this mouse is not scared of me whatsoever. It is comfortable and it is in its own home. We have a mouse problem. Still, not too concerned, not in a rush, kind of put it off a little bit. I didn't know mice breed, like, really fast. Okay, they do, in case you see a mouse, take care of it. Um, then one night, I think it was, like, later that very night, um, I had turned off the light, and I was in that state of sleep where I was barely awake. Like, you know, when someone wakes you up and you feel crazy? Yeah, I was in that state of sleep. And I felt this, like, padding at my feet, and it kind of woke me up. I was, a little, I was like, what was that? And then I felt like this padding on my hair, and I went, ah! <laughs> and I flung the covers off me, and I see this rodent hit the wall and run underneath my bed, and oh, I looked at Dan, and I said, kill them all. <laughs> and over the next, like, 24 hours, I think I'm sorry, we did kill mice, but it was like a really fast mouse trap, so they didn't feel a thing. It's okay. We killed like 11 mice in our little small place. <laughs> and so, I mean, I think about that, and I think about the mice, and, and they started off as a trifle, like easy to deal with and kind of cute, and then it turned into a huge mess around my home. And I think that anger can do that. I'm like, you know what? It didn't make me too angry. It's fine. I'll just shove it over here. It'll be fine. I'll just ignore it. It'll be fine. But if you leave anger unchecked, it will fester and breed in your soul and wreak havoc on the things in your heart. The interesting thing about anger is that it's rarely emotion by itself. Anger is always caused by a different emotion, kind of like an apple tree. By the way, 
Someone has an apple orchard in our church, and he picked apples and made them into a delicious hot apple cider and brought it here for us to drink. I, I think it's gone. Is the hot apple cider gone? So it must have been really good. But I, if you're in this room tonight, thank you so much. That was so sweet. But I think about an, an apple tree. Like if you see an apple tree, you see this tree and it's bearing fruit, but you don't see what's underneath because that huge apple tree started off as a single small seed and it grew and then it started bearing fruit. An unchecked anger can root into our hearts and begin to grow fruit of unrighteousness and bear fruit of words that we can't take back and actions of anger and destruction in our relationship. Jesus goes on to teach us something else about what we should do with anger. In verses 23 through 26, he says, Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you're still together on the way, or your adversary may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. Jesus tells us to deal with the relationship that has fueled anger in us, not only in us, but has fueled anger in others. I find this passage incredibly challenging because it's not if I am angry at someone else, I should go talk to them about it. Jesus says, if someone has something against you, you're to not worship God until you make it right with that person. And that's hard because like, if someone has something against me, and Jesus is talking about reconciliation, right? And we think about reconciliation, and if someone has something against us, we might have the tendency to get, like, really self-defensive of, like, they shouldn't have anything against me. I didn't do anything wrong. And, like, we get this closed fist kind of feeling, and we might go up to them and be like, I'm going to follow Jesus. What's your problem? <laughs> That's not what Jesus is talking about. He's talking about godly reconciliation, of finding a right path of relationship. And instead of a clenched self-defense mechanism, Jesus is saying, go up to someone with open palms in humility and say, I think there's something wrong in our relationship. And I'm not sure what I did to cause you pain or offense, but I really want to make it right. Do you see the, the humility there? Jesus wants us to be in good relationship with the people around us as long as it's up to us. The thing that's challenging about this verse is Jesus says, leave your sacrifice at the altar. And we don't do that anymore because Jesus is a sacrifice and we don't need to offer those kind of sacrifices. Our sacrifice is our worship and our praise. So Jesus is saying here, I would rather you come to church and if you know that someone has something against you, then I would rather you not worship me. I would rather you go make it right with that person and then come back, and then your worship will be acceptable to me. That's how important reconciliation is to the heart of God, that if we want to offer him honest worship, we seek reconciliation. Jesus also talks about here, if you have an adversary taking you to court, make it right before you get to court. And that's hard too, especially with our legal system. That might be kind of tricky, but Jesus is saying, make it right before you have to, before someone else rules against your favor. 
what if you can make it right before you get there? Jesus is saying, reconcile. He wants us to make things right and not let anger fester in our relationships. To end our time together today, I want to talk to you a little bit about anger. I'm a school counselor of elementary school students, and I'm telling you, I talk about, like, anger every day with my students. I have, like, a little badge that has calm down tricks if a kid is feeling angry. You know, like, you can take five deep breaths. And this actually works for everybody. Like, God has designed your body that when you take deep breaths, it slows down your systems. Like, it slows down your thinking. It slows down your heart rate. And you naturally start to feel less angry. Um, So you can take five deep breaths. You can go for a walk and burn energy so you don't have that angry energy in your body. You can, once you're calmer, you can have a a conversation or you can play with a fidget or watch a screen or something like that. And all those things help with anger, but it really only deals with the symptom of anger and not the root of anger. And since I said before, we all deal with anger. It's an emotion that God has gifted us as humans to relate in our world. Um, We all express it in different ways. I was thinking, you know, like, not to stereotype, guys, I'm so sorry. I was thinking that stats would show that men would be more angry than women. But I was wrong. So studies have shown that men and women are angry the same amount of time across every culture, every age group, like everything, we just might express it differently. Men tend to act out in anger more aggressively, like they might get louder or more physical, and women tend to turn our anger inward more, which leads to depression and anxiety, but we all deal with anger equally. And so no matter what our symptoms are, I want to like find the answer to the question of how do I deal with anger? And I want to uh, turn your attention to a handout that's on your table. And it's called Roots of Anger. And I'm not going to read through this. I want you to take this with you. It's going to be a homework assignment in a couple minutes. Sorry. Did I mention I'm a school counselor? Like, homework's my jam. Okay. Um, but the thing about anger that I mentioned before is anger is always caused by a different emotion. So if you find yourself angry while you're driving and someone just cut you off, well, why does that make you angry? <laughs> yeah, like, amen. You, no, I'm not going to say it. <laughs> but anger always has a root of something else going on. And I want you to look at this list. Anger always has one of these roots behind it. Anxiety can be masked as anger. Shame and guilt can be masked as anger. We feel vulnerable, and we don't like that, and we get defensive, and so we come out in anger to get people away from the heart of what we feel shame and guilt about. Sadness can be masked as anger. Fear can be masked as anger. Frustration can come out in anger. Disappointment Things didn't turn out the way that I planned. Life didn't turn out the way that I wanted to. My relationship failed and I wasn't planning on that. How dare they do this to me? Disappointment can come out in anger. Worry can show itself through anger. Boy, I hear that as a parent. (laughs) I get angry the most when I'm worried about my kids. Embarrassment can come out as anger. Jealousy can come out as anger. Pain can come out as anger. And so the Lord doesn't want us to just not be angry. That's not the answer that Jesus has for us tonight. 
Jesus, I want to remind you, is calling us of you've heard it said, but I say. Jesus wants to uproot the things that are hurting in your heart, the things that are lodged in your soul, and he wants to uproot that, the things that cause you to be angry. And so that brings us to this question, what do we do with anger? And here's a couple steps for us. Is Number one, we admit it. I think a lot of times we just be like, I don't feel angry. I'm a peaceful person. I don't feel angry. It's your fault I'm feeling this way. We want to admit honestly, and we don't shove it in a corner. We deal with it. We deal with our anger. And then we submit our anger to God. We might not know the root cause of anger, and that's where we say, Lord, I feel angry right now. I feel angry that they just said that to me on the phone. I feel angry that they just posted that on social media. I feel angry that the news is talking about that. Well, Lord, what's the root of my anger? What is something that you're trying to heal in my heart right now? And then we look to God to heal the root feelings of our anger. And I love that Jesus calls the Holy Spirit our counselor. I need a counselor. (laughs) I need one regularly. And Jesus gave you the counselor. The Holy Spirit knows you more than you know yourself. And you're having a hard time trying to figure things out, to figure out what's going on in your heart that's causing these kind of actions or feelings. Talk to the Holy Spirit. Say, Lord, please help me. I don't understand, but I don't want to feel this way anymore. Deal with the root of what's in my heart and heal my soul. And then we work on our actions. We keep our words seasoned with grace when we're speaking to people we're angry with. We might need to walk away for a minute before we react. We might need to give ourselves a second to think about it before words come out of our mouth. We might need to bite our tongue, like literally bite your tongue. And then we reconcile intentionally to seek a peaceful path forward with people who are at odds with us and with people that we're at odds with. God wants us to be reconciled with others, and it doesn't happen by accident. It's an intentional outreach. I've dealt with that in my life. In fact, there was one time I was dealing with it, and uh, it was was a church day, and I was reading my Bible. I was like, oh, I'm reading my Bible. Good for me. It's church day. I'm reading my Bible. And then I read this verse, and the Lord was like, you need to make it right before you worship me today. It was one of those things that I didn't think I did anything wrong, but I knew there was something between us. I knew that somehow I had hurt this person, and I didn't know how. And I could have been self-defensive about it, but Jesus challenged me. He said, you're going to read this, but what are you going to do with it? Are you going to allow me to turn your life inside out? And I was honest with the Lord. I was like, Lord, I don't even know how to approach that conversation Like, you're going to have to make a way because I don't know, and I'm scared to death, and I don't know how to approach that conversation. And wouldn't you know it, I rounded the hallway at church, and that person was all by themselves in a quiet space, and I could have chosen to be like, oh, hi, how are you? Okay, I'm good. Okay, bye. But the Lord challenged my heart, and he gave me the strength and the grace to say what I needed to say, and God brought reconciliation And there's such a peace and a joy in knowing that I pleased the heart of my Father. And I want to encourage you tonight, I know this isn't an easy thing to swallow, but Jesus loves us enough to challenge us to turn our lives inside out. 
because we may have heard it said, but what are we going to do with that? Are we going to follow the checklist rules or are we going to follow the way of Christ on a regular basis? And I want to challenge you and invite you to come with me as we journey with Christ over the next couple weeks and over our lifetime, really. Like, I'd prefer that, really. But in this series, I want to challenge you to allow the Holy Spirit to speak to your heart. Okay, your homework this week is to take this with you. And I think that there's people in this room who, when we're talking about anger, a situation is in your remembrance. Like, you're remembering something someone said or maybe you said to someone else or maybe um, an experience that you've had, a deep hurt that you've experienced, um, and there's anger there. And, or you may have just like recalled something that happened today that you haven't made right yet. And I want you to take this home with you and pray about this and have a personal conversation with your father and say, Lord, I'm really struggling with anger over this situation, or I'm really struggling feeling angry with this person. Why? I don't know why, but I do know that you want to heal me and uproot the feeling that's causing anger. And allow the Holy Spirit be your personal counselor and allow the Lord to heal your heart of the things that are in there growing. Let's pray tonight. Lord, I love you so much. And I'm so thankful for my brothers and sisters um, who sat here tonight and received a really challenging word. Jesus, I love that you... Uh, don't call us to checklists of righteousness. I love that you don't, um, that you're not tricked by um, maybe the facade that we might put on sometimes to pretend like we're okay or to pretend like we might be more righteous than what we are. Um, And sometimes we fool ourselves, but Christ, you're not fooled and you want us to have an honest relationship with you And you want us to be reconciled with the people in our lives. And you want us to have a godly perspective of people around us. I pray, Father, that you would do a deep healing work in our hearts this week. Even tonight, Lord. Lord, if there's deep-seated anger in my brother or my sister because of any of these emotion reasons that are listed here. Or maybe it's not listed. Maybe there's something that's not on this piece of paper that you want to speak to their heart. Lord, have your way. We are people who want to hear from you and be open to what your spirit has to say. And we want to follow you. We want to know you. We want to experience the kingdom of heaven come to earth right now. And we love you, Lord. Go with my friends and my family in this room tonight. Bless them, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you so much for being with us for the Life Together podcast. It's even better when we see you in person. Join us Wednesday mornings at 10 a.m. or Wednesday evenings at 7 p.m. right here at Discover Church. Find us online at discoverchurch.org.